little, little extra nervous today. A little extra nervous uh, talking to a room of people I don't uh, know that well, all of you. Um, and some of you that I do know that well, and I still don't want to talk about porn with you. So um, that's the situation I'm in today. Literally no sleep last night, cutting things out, adding things in. And uh, because this is one of those topics that can be really awkward, but man, I can't tell you how important, how important this is. Y'all know we're in this sermon series, and every week we're laying out some ground rules for real romance. I think we're a little bit lost culturally, speaking on what romance is and how to attain it. So we've been laying out these ten ground rules. The top four we've already laid out. They're in your study guides. You can find them there. The fifth one is today's topic, which is sex is overrated. Sex is overrated and undervalued. So if you feel like that's a little bit of a conundrum or a paradox, um, it's by intention, by design, right? So we're wanting to say that sex is simultaneously overrated and undervalued in our culture. You also remember that we're asking a different question every week in this series. So we've asked uh, two different questions so far. This is part three. And today's question that we're focusing on um, that we want to answer with this sermon is, am I a perv? And the more I thought about this, the more I thought, I really don't want that question over my head on stage as we're live streaming. I didn't think this through, and I should have. Because it could seem as though I'm asking you to assess whether or, or, or not Pastor Eric is, in fact, a perv. What I would like for you to consider is uh, the inverse. Like, are, are you a perv? That's probably a better question. I want you to ask yourself, am I a perv? That makes sense? So, uh, so you don't have to, it's not my show of hands or anything like that. But I, I want you to wrestle seriously with this question, am I a perv? The reason um, we came up with this question to ask and tackle with a sermon in church on a Sunday morning of all places is because I asked around four dozen, so almost 50 young women under the age of 40, what percentage of men their age they believe to be pervs. Does anyone want to guess what the most popular, most common response was? All of them. All of them are pervs. Some uh, women said, you know, maybe 90%. Once in a while you'll find that diamond in the rough sort of. But almost all, even a generous woman would say, almost all of them are pervs. And so we've, we've got a little bit of an issue here. A 26-year-old woman who goes to church here said, the question isn't whether a new guy who IMs you on Tinder is a perv. It's more like Okay, what kind of perv is he? How bad is it? Those are the questions women, young women are asking on the dating scene, especially in the online dating arena. So um, what happens to a society, what happens to a dating scene even when uh, women believe that 90 to 100% of, of, of men their age are pervs? And that's not even to ask men the same question about women. I'd be, I'd be interested to hear um, those responses too. I don't mean to be one-sided here, but this really got my attention. What happens to us when th that kind of um, perversion is so, is so pervasive? I think there's three things that tend to happen in a culture that are happening in our midst, uh, you know, right now among us. So the first thing that happens is more women begin to settle for casual sexual encounters. More women settle for casual sexual encounters because they've become socially conditioned 
to believe that that's the only way to get a man's attention. And so they settle for um, sexual acts or whatever until, um, until they have the man's attention um, because they, they believe that's the only way to get it. The second thing that happens is because, number one, is happening, more guys become emboldened to seek more sex with less investment. So more guys on the dating scene become more emboldened to seek more sex with less investment, with less concern for a woman's feelings, with less concern for relationship. If you really think about it on a purely carnal sense, why would you invest in a relationship that's going to require you to change? It's going to require you to adapt and require you to consider someone else's feelings when you can get everything you think you want without changing anything. And you can get all of it, a lot of it, daily, weekly, whatever. Why would you change if you're a man? Now, if you're really a man, there's plenty of answers to that question. But uh, the men on the dating scene today might be asking that question. The third thing that happens, because number one and number two are happening, is that a lot of really amazing, brilliant, beautiful daughters of God are on the dating scene now. Wondering if there are any men out there anymore who aren't pervs. And really good women who deserve better, frankly, lie alone awake at night wondering if the only way they can avoid growing old alone is by lowering their standards and choosing which of the pervs to marry. And that's kind of the reality for a lot of women on the dating scene today. Not to be bleak or stark, but I've got to tell it like it is in terms of what I'm hearing uh, on the dating scene. So... What I want to say, I'm going to offer some hope here for the guys. I'm going to talk mostly to guys today. Mostly talk to women in weeks one and weeks two. Talking mostly to guys today. Guys, there's hope. Because if, and I think this is true, if you want to win on the dating scene, and wins, in my mind, don't mean hookups, but if you really want to stand out on the dating scene, guys, it's never been easier it's never been easier to stand out on the dating scene. Any man over 35 is jealous of how easy it is for y'all to stand out on the dating scene today because the bar is so low. You know, invite a girl in person on a date and you're freaking Don Juan, whatever, like just you're the romantic king of forever. Like because, you know, we're at a place now where dates are more intimate than sex. That's a direct quote from one young woman that I spoke with, a date feels more intimate than sex because the bar is so low. And I know guys are competitive and want to win, so I'm going to give you three tips to win on the dating scene today. Y'all ready? Three tips to win on the dating scene today. They all pretty much boil down to the simple phrase, don't be a perv. But I got to flush it out a little bit more. I got to flush it out a little bit more than that. First, stop watching porn. Guys especially, but also women. Stop watching porn. If you want to stand out on the dating scene, be different. And the best way to be different, the most obvious way to be different on today's dating scene is stop watching porn. Do I need to say it again? Stop watching porn. And I know you're not surprised to hear a pastor come out against pornography. I mean, big shocker there that a pastor is standing on his pedestal, his soapbox, looking down at all you heathens with your perversions. And listen, this is not me on a soapbox judging you for your porn problems. This is me, a former porn user, empathizing with you. And it should not come as a surprise to you that this pastor or any pastor, any male really under 40 or even older, like has struggled specifically with internet pornography at times. But this is me empathizing with you. And physically, 
Physically, I've only been with one woman in my life. I'm very proud of this, and I, I hope I die being able to say that. I've only been with one woman in my life physically. We waited until our wedding night to give it a go, and I, I thought I was being a gentleman. Now, what she didn't know at the time is that while we dated, I was uh, frequently using Internet pornography. Which, by the way, required real commitment back then because of the dial-up situation that we had. <laughs> and so it wasn't like it is today, you whippersnappers. It's like walking uphill both ways to school, right? It was dial-up stuff. And so if you're, if you're my age or older, you know what I mean when I say that I developed this Pavlovian this strange sort of uh, unnatural disgust for the word buffering <laughs> because buffering was always standing in my way. It just took forever, you know. By the time the image was fully loaded, I was done and all this stuff. Like it just, it was a different world, different world back then. But listen, I, y'all okay? We're adults here, y'all. Come on. But I justified it this way. This is how I justified it because you will find some strange ways to justify your porn usage. And I justified it by saying it's better to watch porn than to pressure her into sex. And I said, you know, in a year from now or months from now when we're finally married, I won't need porn anymore because we're going to be having so much sex. So much sex. I'm not going to even care about porn anymore. But what I didn't know is the ways that um, porn was rewiring my brain. Physiologically, biologically rewiring the way my brain worked around sex and sexuality. I didn't realize that my mind was growing accustomed to the stimulus of pornography, that there were stimuli that porn offered my brain that real sex with a real person cannot and does not. So when the time finally came to be with my wife, a real person in real life, a real woman with real feelings and fears and insecurities and needs, my brain wasn't wired to behave that way anymore. My brain was wired for porn. Scenes that I chose, scenes that I controlled and stopped and started and changed. Porn had no feelings. Porn had no needs for me to meet. Porn made it all about me. And that's what it does to every man that watches it. And I don't mean the guy that's like, you know, uh, 10 hours a day in his mom's basement just gross. Like that's, I'm talking about all of us that watched it or watch it with any frequency. Porn will inevitably rewire your brain. And the man that watches porn will inevitably begin to approach sex with real women like it's porn. And if when I say porn, if what comes to mind is like, is like a guy, a pizza delivery guy with like knocking on his wife's door, like anything else you'd like to order, like that's not what I mean. And it's sweet that you think that. It's almost nostalgic. I love that innocence. That's innocence, right, in today's world. If you think that's what porn is, I'm not asking you to go and research what's out there now. Just trust me. Trust me, that's not what's out there anymore. People laugh at that stuff. Now, what's out there now, real internet pornography today is much more explicit, extreme, dehumanizing, and violent. I remember watching an interview with the porn star from the 80s and 70s and 80s, Ron Jeremy, where he said something to the effect of, I barely recognize porn anymore. 
I see videos where the girls get, quote, destroyed, ruined, or wrecked. It's all about hurting a girl, or he also said doing something to a girl instead of with her. I don't understand what's happening in porn. Ron Jeremy doesn't understand what's happening in porn. How are we supposed to understand what's happening? Well, we do know this. Porn is changing. And porn is changing young men's lives and their minds. We have trouble, however, fully grasping how and to what extent it's changing us as a society. Because scientists keep trying to study porn and keep running into the same problem. Scientists have trouble forming a control group. Y'all remember science class, the scientific method? We can't find a control group because literally every man under the age of 30 is using porn is watching online porn. Literally all young men watch porn. And so um, this is what we do know statistically. This is what's been borne out by the statistics online. Single men, average two hours per week with online pornography, two hours a week. More people visit porn sites every day than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. And it's not just men either. This has to be said. It's also women. More and more, actually, women are taking the same misguided desires, the same um, misguided needs to this world of online pornography, trying to find some satisfaction in that. You don't even have to look at women's using uh, online pornography as much as you just have to see what's popular in pop culture with young women. I mean, stuff like Twilight, the Twilight series, which I know I'm gonna, people will leave the church over this. But listen, um, some people really love Twilight. But I'm, I'm old enough now to remember when bite me was an insult and not a come on. You know, like this whole causing pain and domination and, and, and um, unnatural stuff, it's taking hold. And I'm not, I hope you all don't hear me being an alarmist here, but even like the Fifty Shades of Grey stuff, which, you know, uh, I understand um, people liked for different reasons. Yeah, you read it for the literature or whatever. Uh, <laughs> and, and some of y'all might be thinking, Pastor, didn't we spend church funds to advertise the story before showings of Fifty Shades of Grey? No, we didn't. It was Fifty Shades Darker. It was, this, it was the sequel that we spent that money on. <laughs> and it's called Strategic Evangelism. Because anybody that came to me and said, hey, I saw you at the movies, I knew immediately who to pray for. Because <laughs> we were shown uh, the story ads in the previews. So uh, what I want to say, guys, about pornography, and then we'll move on, I promise, is if it's a part of your life, it's time to stop. It's an addiction. It's not a simple compulsion. It's an addiction that works like any other addiction. And if it's a part of your life every week, it needs to stop. Just like any addiction would need to stop for you to have a full, happy life with God. This must stop. And I've not known many men or women who could stop this addiction on their own and just quit cold turkey. They instead suffer in the shadows and they don't seek help. Seeking help is really very easy. The enemy's voice in your ear will tell you that it's not. And there's all sorts of reasons why you shouldn't speak up about this. It's very simple. Speak to a counselor. Speak to a pastor. Go to a friend, a friend who loves Jesus, not one of your friends that's more strung out on porn than you are. Don't tell him you have a porn problem. He's not going to help you, right? Go to, go to a 12-step group. There's 12-step groups meeting on this campus that deal with love and sex addiction, pornography addiction. People in this room right now have had their lives turned around by the power of a 12-step group focused on pornography addiction. And if 
this sounds like just an unthinkable thing because porn has been a part of your life for so long. And I know I'm speaking to some guys right now in the room, maybe some girls too. If this sounds unthinkable because you need this outlet to be normal, you think. I want you to consider how much of your life you will get back by addressing and overcoming this addiction. Two hours a week, if that's, if you're average, two hours a week is 104 hours in a year. 104 waking hours in a year will be yours again. Your relationships will be stronger. People will stop looking at you funny because you're, you're walking around in that porn cloud. You know what I mean, the post-porn cloud that, that just clouds your thinking. And it's, you don't know if you're just ashamed or if it's real and people know. And you've got this, suddenly, when you leave the addiction, you've got this clearer head. And then you've got this, um, this leg up at work. You've got a leg up at school. You've got a leg up in the dating scene because every other man out there is a slave to this thing and you are not anymore. And hear me when I tell you that leaving porn behind will have a greater impact on your productivity at school, at work, and in relationships than any prescription to Adderall or Ritalin ever would. I'm not saying anything bad about those prescriptions. Those are fine. But listen, if you want to change your life, leave porn behind. It is affecting you more than you know. And it's hell on earth. Sometimes you don't even realize it. Because God created you for purity of heart and mind. That's your ideal situation is purity of heart and mind. A clean conscience is the way that you were meant to operate and run and live. Jesus said, blessed are the pure of heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If you trust what I'm saying here and trust Jesus to get you through this addiction in toward recovery, I'm telling you, you will be blessed beyond measure because you will see God in reality in new ways. Y'all ready for the second point? You ready to move on from porn? Have you heard Pastor Eric say porn enough today? All right, good. Let's move on. Number two, the number two way to rise above and get ahead and win on the dating scene. Don't say something to a woman online that you wouldn't say to her face. Don't say something to a woman online that you wouldn't say to her face. I should not have to spend time on this. It upsets me that I've got to spend 10 minutes even explaining this. This is the world we live in. You would not believe the kinds of things that young women in this congregation, in our city, in the world, are hearing and reading from young men um, who they barely know or don't even know at all via dating apps and text messages. Five things I wanted to share with you. These are messages that um, I either read about women receiving uh, online. Or three of these women in this community actually received in our church. First one was a message from Tinder. I want you on all fours. It was the first message a man had ever sent her. I want you on all fours. We used to say, what's up? And now, now this. Second one came from a woman in this congregation. She showed me the screenshots of this conversation. Come swim with me. I'll be the perfect gentleman. And I make a great breakfast. It was 1 a.m. when he sent that message. And she has never met the man that sent this message. 
And then there are these messages that are one or two word messages that either ask for uh, nude pictures or uh, sexual encounters that just come out of nowhere on a daily basis for women in online um, dating platforms. And then there's more disturbing stuff like number five where this young man says, hi, I'm looking for a cute girl like you. And that would make an awesome message if he had only stopped there. Hi, I'm looking for a cute girl like you. Aw. But no, he goes on. A cute girl like you that has a bit of a kinky side. So I'm curious if you fantasize about rough sex. Do you think you would like to get choke blanked, tied up, uh, slapped, etc.? He didn't say etc. He said a bunch of other worse stuff, if you believe that, that I couldn't even bring myself to say on Sunday morning in church. thought the roof might fall in or something on us. So... He said, I think, listen to this. He said, I think we could have a wild afternoon together, but I'm happy just to share brunch with you. <laughs> now, you will be shocked to learn that she did not accept his invitation to brunch. <laughs> Which is saying a lot, because if you know anything about women and their affection for brunch, like how much of a jerk do you have to be to ruin brunch? A woman will never turn down brunch. A woman will brunch with Hitler, you know, like just, you really have to go out of your way to mess brunch up for a woman. And in all of these cases, these women that received these messages had never met the men that sent them in person, right? So. Guys, I just want to say this. I hate that I have to say it. Learn to treat women with respect. Talk to women like they're human beings. Even if you have these impulses, repress those impulses until your brain is rewired again, until purity becomes the norm in your life again. You know, you know um, learn to talk to women in, in a way that honors them. As a father of a nine-year-old daughter who's going to be dating in like, uh, 16 years, I think. <laughs> That's what I've got in mind. I'm asking you, I'm begging you to learn to honor women. This, the sexual revolution that we experienced a couple generations ago that was supposed to set women free from things like abuse and aggression has made it worse. Things have never been worse in terms of objectification for women, of women, than they are uh, today on the dating scene, especially in online dating. So guys, learn not just to pursue a woman's body and not just to value her as a piece of meat, but value her heart, who she is as a person. Ask questions with general, genuine interest and, and go after her soul. Find out who she is. The whole New Testament is, is really talking about getting away from just what is seen and, and embracing what is unseen. The same is true in the dating world. In, in 1 Corinthians 4, 17, Paul says, we fix our eyes on what is unseen, not just what is seen. Because what is seen is temporary. It goes away. It's it's it's. It comes and it goes. What is unseen is eternal. That's what matters. And so the soul of the woman that you're with on that date, that is what matters. That's eternal. That is what is unseen. And that's, what's, that's what lasts. So get to know that first. Now, I've got to say this next part because of what I said earlier with the first thing that's happening on the dating scene because of the perv situation, how more and more women are willing to do things that maybe women in past generations weren't because that's the only way to get attention. Y'all remember that part? Okay. Guys, you're going to be propositioned by women who willingly will send you their naked bodies to your iPhone for free. Guys, did you know 
that you can say no to a nude? Did you know that? Did you know that you can say no to a nude? Would you say that with me? You can say no to a nude. Did you know that when you're with a girl who says she's willing to hop right into bed with you, that it's, it's up to you, it's fine for you to say, no, I'd really just like to get to know you? Did you know that it's okay to honor a woman even if she's making herself available to you in that way? Did you know that she's willing to do those things because she's been socially conditioned to believe that's the only way she's going to get your attention? Did you know that it's your opportunity to be different? to show her a different kind of masculinity, to be a different kind of man, to give her a glimpse of hope that somewhere in the world there is a man who will not just objectify her, a man who will love and respect her. Guys, have some integrity. Be different. Honor a woman. When you honor her, you honor her heavenly father too. When you hold a woman in high esteem, even if she's not the one, if you hold her in high esteem and treat her as such, you will win on the dating scene because God will honor you. The third thing I'd like to suggest about dating, getting ahead on the dating scene, is choosing and chasing holiness. Chasing holiness. Now, this is the part where I sound like Chicken Little and I sound like the sky is falling and this is uh, the alarmist pastor guy. I'm gonna be the alarmist pastor with a megaphone and the sign on the sidewalk, the, you know, the end is near, uh, whatever. So I hate it, I hate being this guy, but listen, our culture is on a path now, sexually. Our culture is on a path and it seems irreversible. I think only Jesus coming back will get us off this path that we're on. We have decided culturally that an individual's um, uh, sexual proclivities and preferences is the most sacred and interesting part of who they are and should be protected uh, at all costs. And so we are at a point now where that's the highest ideal, where that's the highest good. So what you're going to see over the next few years is more and more propaganda promoting what's called sex positivity. If you heard about people bragging about being sex positive, this is more and more common being sex positive and new agendas, new sexual agendas, you're going to see more sexual liberation being proposed by people, smart people like this scholar, this New York Times bestselling author, Christopher Ryan, who says we value intimacy and authenticity very highly. This is we as a culture, we Americans value intimacy and authenticity very highly. But we're also very attracted to novelty. So people are going to go ahead and have sex with the people they're attracted to, as they've always done. And it's a good thing for everyone if that becomes accepted and not censored by church or state. So you're going to see more and more of a push toward things like open relationships and polyamory because what you want sexually is the most important, most sacred thing. You're already seeing this if you're paying attention to the headlines. It's already happening. So... It's going to become the new norm. I don't know when we decided that monogamy and novelty are two different things. If you're really good at monogamy, you'll be really creative and imaginative. You'll never run out of ways of being novel together. You know what I'm saying? You hear what I'm saying? Like it doesn't take much creativity. It's really lazy to do it the other way, but we're being told that this is where things are headed. And as one therapist said, uh, he said, it's like psychosexual obesity. He said, we're, we're all gorging. Everyone is gorging. And it's sexual obesity, and no one's satisfied. Now, guys, you know, and I know, deep down, this is not what we're designed for. We're not designed 
for this kind of sexual free-for-all. We're not made for it. We know something's wrong when that's going on. And so this is my plea. That you would choose sexual holiness over self-indulgence. Even though, even though everything else outside of these four walls will urge you and persuade you and encourage you to choose self-indulgence over Sexual holiness. Because they will say, well, sexual holiness, those holy rollers, they don't want you to have any fun. So sexual holiness, they will say, means not having any desire. No, 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 no. God gave you desire. Sexual holiness doesn't mean no desire. You're still going to have desires, but you're no longer going to be governed by those desires. Those desires won't dictate how you spend a Monday afternoon. Those desires won't determine what websites you visit and how frequently and for how long. They will not be your God anymore. So sexual holiness doesn't mean no desires. Sexual holiness doesn't mean no fantasies. You're still going to have fantasies. You're just, you're just not going to be fed those fantasies by screens for 104 hours a year. You're going to be deeper and more profound, more imaginative with your fantasies. Having a fantasy life. A sexual fantasy life when you're trying to follow Jesus, perfectly normal. Look, sexual holiness, when we talk about Christians being sexually holy, doesn't mean you don't have fantasies that you never, uh, I don't want to say it. So uh, color alone, can we say that? That's not what I'm saying. All right, that's not what I'm saying. Plenty of faithful Christians, millions of faithful Christians, color alone every day throughout the world. But listen, when <laughs> I'm saying this. So when, here's the difference. The difference isn't the physical act itself. The difference is what's going on in your mind with your eyes and in your heart. What are you looking at, thinking about? What are you fantasizing about? If you're married, are you thinking about your, your beloved, your wife, your husband? Are you thinking about the time you really did it for them or the time they really did it for you? Are you thinking about the time you really felt connected? If you're not married, I know this is harder. This is more difficult. If you're not married, you can still have that kind of holy fantasy life. It just takes a little more imagination. If you haven't met your future husband, your future wife yet, you still conceive of the kind of person you hope God will give you one day and what kind of connection you will have. You practice the kinds of things you want to say to that person, the kinds of things you want to hear from that person, and you live into that fantasy life, giving yourself to her, giving yourself to him, and not just being fed trash on screens. That's lazy. That's weak. And you can do more developing that inner life, that holiness of heart. Because that's what God created you for. He gave you those fantasies, those desires. And this is where people get it wrong. People think that God is sex negative. That the Bible is not sex positive. And you need to be prepared for these conversations. If you've never heard this before, you need to know just how sex positive the Bible is. The next time your friends tell you that God is sex negative or the Bible is anti-sex, I want you to ask them, what's the first commandment that God gives to people in the Bible? Do you have any idea what the first commandment God gives to people in the Bible is? And they might say something like, the Lord is holy and da, da, da. No. First commandment, Genesis 1, 28, the very first chapter, the very first book, where God says to people, basically, go do sex. That's the first thing God tells people. Truly, this is not me making it up. 128, God's first command, go do sex together. Go, make it happen. You know, go, Adam and Eve, go do it. That's the first commandment. 
because God is sex positive. And then the rest of the Bible, that doesn't change. I mean, God draws boundaries around it because he has a plan for us. But listen, even in the New Testament, this Paul guy in the New Testament, everybody says Paul is such a stickler. He's such a strict, like, straight arrow. Paul says to women and men in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, husbands and wives, have as much sex as you can. Have as much wonderful, great sex as you can within the context of marriage. Do as much as possible this thing together in 1 Corinthians 7. And then, if that's not enough for your friends to prove that the Bible is sex positive, I invite you to open your Bibles with them to the Song of Songs, also known as the Song of Solomon. I've got a carefully selected reading from the Song of Solomon today. Would you like to hear it? Okay, I bet you would. Bunch of pervs. So the... <laughs> now listen. You've... <laughs> Sometimes I shouldn't say things that are in my head. So the, the thing about this is that they're so good at the poetry of it, they don't have to just lay it all out there explicitly. You have to look for the sexual language, all right? So here we go. This is a woman um, speaking to her lover, to her beloved in um, Song, of Song, Song of Songs. She says, my beloved is to, me, uh, is to me a bag of myrrh that lies between my breasts. Y'all get that that's not a bag of myrrh, right? Right? Okay. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit, not fruit, was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his intention toward me was love. Oh, that his left hand were under my feet, uh, under my head, I don't know where I got that, and that his uh, right hand were around me. Then the man responds, a garden locked is my bride. A garden locked, a fountain seal. Not a garden, not a fountain. Your channel, not a channel, is an orchard of pomegranates, not pomegranates, with all choicest fruits. A garden fountain, a well of living water, a flowing stream from Lebanon, not a stream. Awake, she says, awake, O south wind, blow upon my garden, not a garden, with its fragrance may be Wafted abroad, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. Those aren't fruits. And then the man says, how graceful are your feet and sandals, O queenly maiden. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Belly shots. Your belly. Look. Your Belly is a heap of wheat. I don't know what that means. It sounds awesome. You're, tell, tell the girl you're with, your, her belly is a heap of wheat. See what happens. And circle with lilies, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. You are stately as a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its branches. It's fantastic. The word of God for the people of God. Oh, my God. What? just happened to the Bible. <laughs> Listen, God made you a sexual person for a reason. His will for you, his will for your life is that you have a lot of crazy, amazing sex. That's his will for you. And, and the kind of sex he wills for you only happens in the context of two people who have promised everything to each other. And nothing less than everything to honor and cherish and love each other, to lay down their lives for each other until they both die. Like that is where the best kind of God-ordained sex happens. By God's grace, um, my wife and I, we finally eventually figured it out in our marriage. It took a while, thanks to me mostly. But I will say this, over the last 18 years together, some of my 
favorite private memories. Everyone who's been in a good marriage knows that private memories that you harbor and cherish. You know, 18 years ago I would have told you that those would probably be memories of how awesome the sex was or like how erotic and the throes of passion and all this stuff. And that stuff's been great. Like we've had those moments too, don't get me wrong. But listen, the stuff that really sticks with me, the stuff that really makes me smile and, and makes me feel fully alive as a man aren't the throes of passion stuff. It's really two kinds of moments that I look back on that have happened again and again. The, the first is when, you know, uh, you know, so your pastor's color. So we're coloring and we're coloring, and, but then something happens and we laugh. And the laughter is such naked vulnerability there. We laugh, we laugh so hard that we're crying. And when we're crying, it's just so sweet. And then we're coloring again. It's just the laughter, man, like that's what they don't show you in porn is when they laugh at each other for half an hour. And it's so beautiful and so good. And the second kind of moment are those supernatural surreal moments when you leave this earth together. And I don't mean like in the, the physical climax of the moment, which is fine, but I'm talking about when your souls intermingle, when you look into each other's eyes and something weird is happening. And you don't know what's going on, but your souls are intertwined and it's those moments where the love is so intense. There have been moments in my life with my wife that I couldn't tell if it was her arms around me or God's because the love was so intense. And I think that's exactly why God made us the way that he did. Moments like those are God's will for just about all of us. But those moments, they don't happen accidentally. They don't happen because I read Cosmo magazine about 10 ways to blow her mind. You know, like, that's not, it's not technique. It's not being good in bed. It's not, it's not something that happens at a sleepover or a one-night stand or even on your wedding night. It takes years to build that kind of trust. But listen, what's happening, the enemy, the enemy is using Things like porn and other kinds of worship of sex, but especially porn, he's using those things to rob us, to keep as many of us as possible from experiencing that kind of intimacy that I just described to you because that kind of an intimacy will show a person God. The best kind of sex brings you closer to God, not further away from him. That kind of intimacy will make a believer of the most cynical kind of atheist. And that's the last thing our enemy wants. And so most people succumb to that temptation and fulfill that desire without ever thinking of God, which is a trap. Because without God, that desire will never be fulfilled. Without God, that desire will become your God and you will serve it like a slave. And if that describes your sexual past or your sexual present, please don't hear this as a condemnation of who you are, but receive it as an encouragement and an opportunity because there's hope. It's never too late to live with purity. Purity, if you live and choose purity today, if you say, I'm going to focus on thinking pure thoughts today and being a person of integrity with a clear conscience today, and you get through today, then tomorrow gets a little bit easier and you choose purity tomorrow and the next day until, by the grace of God, it is your new normal. And that process begins with repentance. I told you earlier to reach out to somebody and talk, and that's true too, but it begins right now with repentance. Sincere repentance in your heart invites the Holy Spirit in to help you through whatever temptations are coming your way. The Holy Spirit, when your heart is sincere in your repentance, the Holy Spirit will not leave you hanging when temptation comes. 
King David was his hero of the Old Testament. He had a problem with lust. He made a lot of mistakes because of his lust. And one of his worst mistakes was with Bathsheba. And after all of his world came crashing down after the Bathsheba saga, King David wrote this prayer. And I want you to see this prayer on the screen. And I want to challenge some of you that are really feeling this topic, this message today, to let um, this prayer be your prayer this week. Because if lust and sin have been a struggle, you pray this prayer daily with your heart. The Holy Spirit will empower you to break free from sin's grip. And when you're out of sin's grip, your whole life will change. Trust me when I tell you this. Your eyes will grow brighter. The look on your face will change. You'll stand a little taller. Your mind will be a little clearer. You will be different from every other man on the dating scene. When you honor God's daughters and women, when you honor God's sons, God will honor you. I'm going to pray this prayer over all of us today. You can pray this prayer or whatever prayer is on your heart right now. It's also on your study guide so you can take it home with you to memorize or pray every day this week. Would you just join me in a moment of prayer as we all pray together. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you.